stop the signal. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of The Signal. We've got a little bit of a different style of episode today. Um, I have brought on Phil to talk about a, a theory or maybe a network of theories uh, that I've been seeing kind of on the timeline. Uh, I've talked about it on the main show about uh, the Fed and their fight with Davos and um, other, I guess, nation state and central bank actors and how they're all playing nice or not playing so nice in the sandbox. Um, before we really get into it, I just want to, in the style of the signal, I always like to keep things or as, as much as I can anchored to, okay, what is actionable from any of the decisions that were, or any of the uh, discussion that we're having. Uh, so I hope that uh, we're successful in doing that just to kind of be signal rather than noise. Um, but the conversations that I've had with Phil have been super interesting. And I think there's, there's definitely some information here that um, might be actionable. So I wanted to bring it to you. So Phil, thanks a bunch for, uh, for joining me today. Yeah, buddy. I'm really stoked to talk about this. This has really heightened my autism the past year. So yeah, I'm, uh, I'm very eager to get into it. So where, so, where do you want to start? Yeah. I, I figure different, different arms of this beast. To, uh, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of them. So I figure, um, I, I, I will intro a little bit and then I'll just kind of hand it off to you. Um, it's stuff that I've talked about a little bit on the main show, but uh, you know, coming into this year, I had my, my theory was that the fed was going to hike interest rates a little bit in order to get some wiggle room to then cut mm -hmm. uh, again. And then they did not do that, which I was, I was pretty surprised by. Um, and yeah. so I started digging around and digging around and I had seen some different stuff and different theories. And then I finally stumbled upon this one, which uh, is probably the most interesting one uh, and seems to hold some water. Um, so uh, do you want to get into describing basically, I think a good, a good start would be out, outlining what the Fed's plan has been since yeah. kind of the taper tantrum era and why they've been doing what they've been doing in accordance with this theory. Um, maybe who some of the big players are in that. Yeah, I love it. So first of all, I have to say that I stand on the shoulders of many giants, but most namely Tom Luongo. I don't know where you heard of him, Carr, but I heard him on Pete's show. So shout out Pete. But I heard him uh, like the end of October of last year, almost coming up a year ago. And it just really, I can't remember exactly what he said, but I found a series of podcasts that he did and um, I think what might be helpful, I'll send you some links to shit that I've written about this, but within one of the Bitcoin Magazine articles I did, it had links to 75, uh, 6, and 7 episodes of Tom Longo's Gold, Goats, and Guns podcast. But his theory kind of just made me think like, oh, the Fed might not be the bad guy, or if it is, you have these global actors working in their own incentive. Because as I like to say, everybody gets along in the mafia until someone steps on someone else's salami. So... Um, let's start with is basically a battle of globalists versus possibly nationalists. You have the ECB, which is the Bank of Europe, the EU, World Economic Forum. Tom just calls him Davos. I like that, and he even gets more reductionist, which I tend to agree that they're just, just communists, right? I mean, and, and just to stop you real quick, the, the, this he refers to it, the Davos group, and this would be just the collective of people that meet in that World Economic Forum in Davos, yeah. Switzerland every year. So it's it's kind of that yeah. these actors and everybody in league with them. Yeah. Let me just be clear to sound like Obama. He was Davos, by the way. <laughs> um, it is not like George Carlin said, 
all big one big gang club and we're not in it that's just something i really need to stress because the nuance of who's involved i mean really who's involved it's it's just there's splinters within davos but yeah you have multiple groups and incentives whether it's like the zionists or uh rothschilds or whatever cfr i mean it's still all them but you basically have old european oligarchs old money that have been profiting off the offshore dollar market and been using that to print more money than the federal reserve has which undermines the fed's power and they are basically old european colonialists that are vandals that are trying to destroy america because the way that you have your great reset globalist whatever bullshit klaus schwab idea is that you need to sweep the leg and take out the monetary transmission mechanism in the world that drives our global economy. Okay. And, and before we and move that's on the federal reserve and be, the federal reserve be, system before we, okay. Yes. And before we move on, you can, or I can, but we should, uh, we should describe the offshore dollar market. I was going to definitely. Okay. And I encourage you to send your listeners as well to check out my sub stack. I wrote this <laughs> I, I entitled because people get this wrong all the time. Uh, the article is called, it's not about inflation, stupid. And I lay out like what the offshore dollar market is and why it's a threat to the Fed. It's a threat to the Fed because you have all these European banks that can print more money than the Fed can. Because well, yeah, yeah. Can can you can you just describe what the offshore dollar market is before we exactly, in, in, exactly. describe like the, the the players and the incentives? So, so the offshore dollar market really started after the 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 beating that Europe got after World War II and they had to rebuild. And so they started taking loans from the U.S. And this has kind of been going on ever since. So the way that that relationship with the Fed and like the Fed window or whatever works or banks in this case, like U.S. banks, because remember the commercial banks are the shareholders of the Federal Reserve. So they are on Team Fed and I call them Team Fed and Team Davos. And the way that all these European banks and countries rebuilt is that they gave their euro debt like bond as collateral over to the U.S. banks. And the U.S. banks gave them dollar reserves in exchange for them to leverage up. Now, when they leverage those up, because, you know, fractional reserve banking, like we're all pretty much Austrians. We kind of get how that shit works. As they leverage those up, they can leverage them up. Like I said, print more money than the Fed itself can. Like these are outside jurisdictions. Like you've heard, maybe heard this as the euro dollar system that Jeff Snyder gets into, but he's kind of like a Davos little fucking, that's just my take on it. Um, but I mean, you hear about the euro dollar system, the shadow banking system, and this is just something that's not really known very well or talked about, not even like in the Bitcoin space as much. And yeah, and let me, let me just put a really fine point on this too. Mm-hmm. Um, when we're talking about, the, it, it's officially called, I think, the euro dollar system, but it, it, that just stemmed because it most, most of the money was going to Europe after World War II. Yeah, well, I mean, but, to be clear, it's euro banks, Asian banks. I yes. call it the offshore dollar market or ODM for short. Because people think, oh, euro dollar, like the euro. It's like, no, it's not that. Like, right? It's it's all it's all dollars that are outside of the jurisdiction of the United States. So therefore, they're not under yeah. the purview of the Fed. It's credit, like technically, yeah. it is a loan denominated in dollars. Yeah, but you know, credit. And to give people an idea, I think this is a what is it like a two hundred trillion dollar uh, kind of like asset class, if you want to say. Yeah, uh, or it's as huge. I like to call it today, um, in an updated version of like my thesis now, 
uh just how tom kind of got me into the weeds i kind of proposed like this new idea about it but i call it the 200 trillion dollar contagion yeah and i'll get into that later but yep. uh let me but just to give uh, people an idea this is not a small uh uh at, like situation it's it's gigantic especially yeah, compared yeah. to like m1 or m2 or something like that locally within the jurisdiction of the united states yeah so Euro dollar system depends on an interest rate and that interest rate has also been the interest rate that has driven United States monetary policy. And that interest rate is LIBOR, which is the London interbank overnight rate. And basically a group of 18 panel banks that meet at the city of London and any like conspiracy theorists will understand that city of London, uh, the Vatican and, you know, DC are like the three like pillars of global, like conspiracy, like cooperation kind of shit. Um, but basically all world finance has been dictated in the city of London, uh, really arguably as, uh, up until a year or maybe a few, couple of years ago. I'll get into that later, but LIBOR is understand to, it's important to understand how important LIBOR is. LIBOR drives, it's almost kind of like the, the benchmark rate to the fed funds rate in some way, almost, but all of up until 2021, January, I mean, sorry, up until January, 2022, all of our debt, United States debt was indexed to this arbitrarily come came up with manipulated rate. And you can Google LIBOR scandals and all this shit. But it's been dictated by basically old European globalists, 18 panel banks. Only one out of those 18 represent the interests of the United States. And that's the branch in of uh, JP Morgan over in London. And so what you basically had was if there was like a, you know, a, a, a credit spasm or something, interest rates would have been raised and jacked up and uh, someone had to bear the brunt. So basically LIBOR made United States markets like you would feel this in your credit card uh, rates or your mortgage. It, it's The way I understand it is that basically Americans were bearing the brunt by socializing the losses for europe <laughs> right and, and through so we through these through the international the loans right yeah yeah right. we were tethered to this fucking globalist rate and up until this past year uh we've been on sofa which is a secured overnight financing rate which is now dictated by actual market exchanges activities between banks in the, the u.s and so this is one of the pillars that jerome powell because i firmly believe especially after going through the book called Fed Up, written by Daniel D. Martina Booth, who was a Federal Reserve insider at the uh, Dallas Federal Reserve. There are people that actually aren't globalist swindlers like Janet Yellen and Ben Bernanke. I mean, the Dallas Fed was called the free market Fed, which was news to me. But And I know it's really hard to understand that because you know most of us listening, talking about this shit, listen to the show come from a libertarian background well let's before we get into value judgments and stuff like that let's just sure. outline what exactly everything is so that people understand the, the pieces on the board right, right right okay so uh let me just basically let me refer to my article here so uh, basically back to the euro dollar the source of the euro dollar uh, power is coming from european asian and other non-american banks and so the offshore dollar market is just enabling them to make more 
money or print more money in order to exert its influence by buying governments, militaries, politicians, and all this corrupt bullshit to disrupt capital markets and also the pricing signals through those markets. And so, and this was, and ju- and correct me if I'm wrong, this brought America into it because we were referencing LIBOR. So yeah. this, this was an international interest rate set by people that were outside of America, save for one board member um, that uh, is used to manipulate yeah. interest rates and money flows with the American dollar essentially, but yeah. offshore and outside of America's or kind of the Fed's jurisdiction. Yeah. And that's been Davos's weapon because they're commie globalists and they want to destroy America and they want to deficit spend it into oblivion. And okay, well, everybody again, likes- w- with the value judgment stuff, let's just put the pieces on the on the on the table. Uh, yeah. I mean, well, that is the goal of Davos like that. Well, can't be th- that may be. But like, let's let's set the table first and then we can get into to okay, that sort of cool, thing. Cool. All right. So uh, going back to here, basically what Powell and the Fed's been doing is destroying the offshore dollar markets, of course, because that's undermining what power that they have. The way that the banks in the United States create money is, of course, issuing out loans. And now they can do that independently from Davos because they have their own rates that are based on a quasi almost like free market. So let's just go through like steps one through three of how Powell is destroying the offshore dollar market. So the first strategy that the Fed implemented was that American banks stopped accepting euro debt as collateral in January of 2019. As I referred to earlier, like how are euro dollars made? Well, they had the U.S. gave Europe a bunch of loans after World War II. And ever since that, I mean, they wanted to just pull the plug on the whole shadow banking system. So they stopped giving them means and a collateral to print more euro dollars. So this decision is what caused the repo spasm of fall of 2019 in September, is if anyone was following that or remembered. And no collateral, again, just means that Davos can't get dollar reserves in exchange to lever up and just fractional reserve print more money than the Fed itself can. And um, as ODM is outside of the Fed's jurisdiction, ODM again, offshore dollar market. So no reserves obviously meant no more printing euro dollars. So that was like the beginning of I what I believe is the end of the offshore dollar market. Step two, the second step was to basically suck up all that was left of those dollar reserves that European banks had. So how do you do that? Well, you incentivize those euro banks and Asian banks, which is offshore banks. You incentivize the holders of those dollar reserves to park them in the reverse repo facility. And both, you know, domestic and uh, foreign. So basically, Powell, after the FOMC meeting of June uh, 2021, so last year, he opened the foreign repo facility. So let me just quickly explain what a repo is. It's a repurchasing, it's when the Fed repurchases a uh, collateral from a bank, right? I like to call this high time preference QE, high time preference quantitative easing. Because like the typical repo contracts are like an average of like two weeks, but it's like overnight functioning. And basically, if you're a bank, you hold collateral and you give that, you hold on to that collateral and give it to the Fed in exchange for reserves. So, I mean, that's kind of how you could understand quantitative using and just re- repo markets were open pretty uh, relatively like recent, I think in like 2017 or something. So they're they're fairly recent to help 
uh, alleviate uh, credit, you know, spasms and whatnot. And this and these repo markets exist between banks as well as my understanding. It's basically a no, high level. Banks. That's pretty much all it is. Yeah, it's banks, and then also so they make payroll and everything. By the yes, end it's when that. banks uh, run into you know need need liquidity, they'll they'll trade back and forth often overnight. Uh, but yeah. yeah, like you said, sometimes up to a week or two. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, in order to obtain quick liquidity, and that you know there's a big market to buy and sell among commercial banks. Commercial banks, I guess, is probably the the bigger players in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so basically, how up the ante with the reverse repo again. So just think of reverse repo is that after repo or after like high time periods quantitative easing, this bank gave their treasury or whatever collateral they had to the Fed and got a shit ton of cash reserves in exchange. Those cash reserves sitting on that bank's balance sheet, you can think of that as latent hyperinflation. And this is what Ben Bernanke did. But it wasn't repo, it was called IOER, which is interest on excess reserves. So the excess reserves that banks held, instead of giving those out or just flooding the economy with dollars and more dollars chasing less goods and causing hyperinflation and imploding the country, he was like, okay, I'm going to raise that by 25 basis points. Um, at the at, So basically, people with excess dollars, they took those dollars and parked them at the Federal Reserve to gain interest, you know? So just like BlockFi or whatever, like money market kind of thing. The thing though was it was 25 bips above the Fed funds rate or anything else out in the market offered. So that was the main incentive that people got like, oh, well, you know, my money's not moving for me. So I'm just going to park out the Fed. The Fed's going to Fed's gonna pay me out eventually. So similar to what Ben Bernanke did in the uh, great financial crisis, that's what Powell did because... Again, he's trying to destroy the offshore dollar market and undermine uh, that uh, power against the Fed. So he opened foreign repo facilities, right? Because foreign reserves are sitting in banks and they're leveraging those up to the eyeball, eyeballs. And he just drained $1.7 trillion of dollar liquidity within like a month or less, I believe. So, I mean, that's basically like you, 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 you put a plug in the hose and you just like cut them off from their, their, uh, um, uh, morphine supply. Yeah. So, so like in summary right now, where we're at is we basically, uh, plug the wound and then we're trying to bring blood back into the system. And that, that's my understanding of this is first we needed to remove our dependence on LIBOR um, uh, so that we can cut ourselves off from the contagion abroad. And then all, and then once that's complete, bring capital back into our system, uh, that was once abroad. And of course this is leading to the strengthening of the dollar and dollar demand because two trillion of it, a base year of money has been gutted, pulled out of the global economy. And then lastly, uh, this goes back to what I mentioned earlier, SOFR. So, as of January 2022, all newly issued U.S. domestic debt has been re-indexed from LIBOR to SOFR. Again, that stands for the Secure Overnight uh, Financing Rate. I've heard financing, funding, whatever I'm calling financing. So previously, again, all U.S. debt was indexed to LIBOR. And again, it was just arbitrarily established, manipulated, 
and you have to think like they lowered the, the LIBOR rate just like on a Zoom call. So that way they could just like charge each other preferential rates when they were printing their Euro dollars. So just think of it like that. And um, and so basically reacting to SOFR removes that US exposure to the $200 trillion contagion that is LIBOR. And so Americans now um, aren't going to have to socialize the losses to uh, European globalists, basically. And so all three of these steps are just enabling the destruction of the ODM. And we're also going to see capital flight flow into the U.S. and also give Americans the ability to, um, or America, the ability to raise rates and no longer have exposure to toxic uh, European liabilities. And then once it's fully implemented, the Fed's going to have officially gained back its monetary independence by them. And so these actions are all demonstrating that the Fed is off the reservation. They're not on team globalist Davos anymore. And like normalcy in inflation, employment, and price stability that you hear as the uh, dual mandate by the Fed is um, it's just a byproduct of what the real goal here is. And when people like Peter Schiff or whoever say, oh, the Fed can't pivot, it's like, yeah, they can, and they have tools. They can't come out and say this publicly or else Jerome Powell gets assassinated. <laughs> so, yeah, right. Like that's that's definitely a concern here. And I think that there has been a degree of him, um, if if this is true, and I I, I, I like a lot of this theory. Um, uh, I tend to just overall kind of take a watch and see approach. Um, but this is certainly one that I'm watching and, and, you know, closely, um, if, if this theory is true, it does certainly look like Powell is kind of playing dumb on a lot of stuff in order to as a lawyer. Of course he is. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is pretty funny to watch. Like, it's pretty interesting, um, you know, playing dumb about like some lagging indicators and stuff like that in order to keep, uh, raising the interest rate. And just as a, um, as a note, we're recording this on September 20th and we are due for uh, publish a fed minutes and see what they do at the FFR. Cross your uh, fingers for a hundred bips. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's not off the table. The markets are yeah. saying 18% chance for whatever that's worth. So yeah, right. um, I think the consensus is it's going to be 75. Uh, we'll see if it's a hundred. I, you know, it's, a, I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, it'll be, it'll certainly be interesting to see what that does and how that, um, affects markets because I, I, I truly don't know markets. So let's get into that. And yeah. this also kind of leads into like why this is a white pill. Yeah. Other than, you know, we don't have a CBDC by the IMF under the dictate of Klaus Schwab and his banana hammock being shoved down our throats. Mm-hmm. Um, so as Tom and others say, capital moves, money moves to where it's treated best. So this also opens up the possibility as all capital flight is going to go to uh, the Dow. The Dow is a good indicator of seeing foreign investment come to the United States. But we also have a bifurcation of uh, powers. So we got uh, Russia and China buying up. So I think there might be some competition, some healthy competition between Russia and China. And maybe um, maybe uh, some uh, commingling because China or um, Russia is opening up a new uh, metals exchange, replacing the LBMA. And I think JP Morgan Chase is the only American bank that actually has access and exposure 
to Russian market markets. And so it's kind of like Team Fed basically said, fuck you, all you other like globalist actors. We're actually going to uh, not piss off Russia so much. And we're going to have a nice, healthy exposure over to their markets as well. But uh, again, capital is going to move to where it's treated best. So you might um, see capital slowly move into Russia or whatever they set up with uh, JP Morgan. But it's going to go into safe haven assets. So gold. Duh. And gold is manipulated on like to the downside by actors like JP Morgan Chase. Because if gold goes up, then trust and credibility is lost in American banks and the Fed. Uh, Europe actually depends on a high gold price because they don't have shit. Like, there's a reason the banks stopped taking their debt as collateral. is because it's fucking trash. Excuse my French. But because of that, they're bankrupt and they can't go bankrupt. And their capital markets are weak in comparison to, like, an Apple in the U.S. Apple doesn't go to a bank to get more debt. They issue bonds. And they have, they're flush with capital to, to, to pay well on those bonds. So just structurally, you, the United States is just much more robust of an economy. And so they're not as dependent on the banking sector as Europe, which I think was intentional. I think that the euro was planned obsolescence and to basically make every bank in Europe fold and give up his power to the IMF and implement like panopticonic CBDC kind of system. But that aside, it's capital is going to flow into also bonds. Like I believe treasury yields are going to go down on the U S 10 year because again, it's all about capital flow and the fed reasserting its credibility by raising interest rates and doing all the three steps that I explained. And so people the way that you scale out holding dollars isn't in your, isn't the cash under your mattress, isn't in your bank account or checking account. People with billions of dollars, they scale that out by buying treasuries. Or ideally, Bitcoin, which I think is the no-brainer answer where this all ends up, hopefully. And we start to see the beginnings of a hyper, not a hyper-Bitcoinized world because ultimately... I feel like the Fed is going to be forced to adopt it to some extent to back their treasuries by Bitcoin, not just Bitcoin, but gold. Um, Judy Shelton was one of the ladies that Trump wanted appointed on the Fed board, but didn't didn't get that vote passed. But what she wanted to do was uh, balance the uh, the budget sheet as hard of of a thing to uh, imagine would be but the way that you do that is you have 50 and 100 year bonds and you pay out portion of that in gold so you're essentially remonetizing gold but i mean in the digital age and of course if a cbdc at the retail level is passed by the fed then that's retarded because it just completely guts out the commercial banking sector which remember those are the shareholders of the fed so they're not going to go the cbdc route they're probably going to go with the most sound monetary digital infrastructure on the goddamn planet which is bitcoin and there have been fed papers i believe at uh, kansas fed or st louis uh there have been a couple of them about writing about bitcoin and lightning network as money and so i mean if you're the fed you're basically fighting for survival here and i believe that there are like sure i'll say it like 
at least to the Milton Friedman level, not maybe the Mises level, but there are some sovereigntists within this country that actually don't want to sell out to Davos. And with all these actions that Powell's taken the past few years, I think that is the direction that we are going. But long story short, like capital markets, it, things are going to are going to go. And I'm not going to say like when and take that guess because I'm not a degenerate. I'm not a fool. I can't I can't play that game. But I mean, everything's on sale right now. So if you buy gold, if you buy Bitcoin, uh, you know, start stacking or if uh, you're on the, on the opposite end of that, just be heavy cash. But, you know, I believe listeners of the show are savvy enough to, uh, you know, sound well, money yeah. and win. Well, let's let's bring let's you know, you're talking about we don't want to make the guess on on when that happens. And I, and I agree with you to a large degree. But a lot of what you're talking about is, let's just say, uh, qualitatively, probably off a little bit in the future. Um, you know, when we were talking about this, uh, last week, you know, the, the, the next kind of event horizon for me is, is the winter, um, and seeing what happens in, within this playground, like the fed versus Davos versus bricks kind of, uh, playground, um, and others, um, what do do you think? I guess you know. I guess we're, what we're looking at right now, the Fed has been able to raise interest rates through since what? When did they start? Last January or whenever it was. Um, pretty much with not a whole lot of resistance. Um, they, they only now ha, ha, has anyone really. Put, have I have I seen anyone really starting to push back in kind of what I would describe as the mainstream financial media? Um, the, you know, through the summer, everybody was pretty much in agreement, especially when we had that eight point three print on the CPI back in July, I believe. Everybody was kind of in agreement that yes, we need to get inflation under control. Um, huh. so, you know, what does what is your opinion of the framework, or what is your opinion of the future fed decisions through the next, let's say six months until the other side of the winter. And, and the reasons that I'm, I'm choosing this is, is because of there's going to be probably a fairly reasonably sized energy crisis in Europe that is going to strain already straining financial institutions due to the feds actions, you know, in the last year or two, um, you know, right now the, the stock market, let's just say the S and P 500 is, is up like 15% since the, since the COVID crash or since the, before the COVID crash, before it hit those lows. Um, you know, it's up like 60, 70% three years to date. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, and, he, and again, I, and this is what Tom refers to. I would refer to the Dow, especially if you're looking at global capital flow, cause it's just Deeper, more liquid, sure. Blue chips. These, they probably roughly mimic. You know, I mean, it. There, it's it's pretty pretty rare that they're. But yes, I mean, fair point. Um, I guess the more generally speaking, you know, times are still relatively good. I mean, the 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 market has been down since since its high in in uh, you know around last Christmas. But but it's 
it's still relatively good if you take a longer term view, which is the yeah. sentiment of a lot of investors of, hey, we just we, we uh, just hold through it um, yeah. and, and things will be all right. And, ultimately- and, and especially like like there's a there's a podcast called Making Sense and it's by JP Morgan, but it's not for the average listener. Like they make this public podcast to their to their clients to listen to and tell them what JP Morgan is doing with their money, where they see things are going. Like I made a tweet today about them basically coming out and saying like, yeah, the only way for Europe to like survive this is to end the war in Ukraine and mm-hmm. um, yeah, have fun being cold or something. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I think there's a, I think there's grains of truth in that for sure. No, right? Yeah. But, but because we've re-indexed the sofa and like, there's, there's a great, like the first episode of that podcast was called leaving LIBOR. Uh-huh. So, and that was in 2019. Okay. So they've been trying to make this publicly available and letting people know kind of stealthily but because we're doing all this fast and we're not destroying markets as much as people would expect like you said we're we're, things are still like good i think like in america may you know i'm just speculating but like maybe things aren't going to be as bad as we will think because we were able to use these monetary tools and get all of our ducks in a row. We're on sofa. We don't. We're not attached to this two hundred trillion dollar contagion anymore. And maybe things do get worse before they get better. But what is it like? Twenty five percent of companies on the on the uh, Nasdaq or whatever. I don't know which index it is. But I mean, a quarter of them nearly are all zombie companies. So, I mean, that's kind of the cleansing we need, right? Like, not calling Powell an Austrian. No, but no, no. Like, yeah, but, but hold on. Before we, go down, of- before we go down that road, yes, I agree with you. But before we go down that road, we I just want to talk about the players. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, obviously, like, probably half of the NASDAQ doesn't deserve to exist. But that that's kind of an aside. For, for better or for worse – the country perceives the success of the economy based on the stock market. I mean, that, it, mm-hmm. that, that just is what it is. And it, you know, Which I believe that the stock market is going to go up because again, capital is going to move to where street best. Yeah. I mean, and, and like after each rate that's happened this year, there's always like a little spike after. Well, that, capital. that may be, but at the end of the day, we're down since they started raising rates. And traditionally speaking, as bonds were down as you thought, uh, I don't, well, I don't know what I would have thought, you know, but I, 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 I think that the, there is a real, um, uh, risk here of, you know, it, it's there, you can, you can look at the price action in the market, it, the, the, the stock markets show severe worry about raising rates. And, um, if we continue to raise, I do not see a situation where the stock market doesn't take a beating. What what kind of beating? Is it small? Is it you know? I don't know. Um, but uh, you know, I, I I think that's inevitable. So you know, if I if I paint a picture here where, and I don't know if this happens. I'm just saying, if I paint a picture yeah. here where um, the Fed raises you know 75 bips tomorrow, 50 and 50 to close out the year. And the stock and the stock market is down 20%. um, Now, what does the landscape look like? And uh, I don't like I've heard Tom and others say, like, I don't think like the Dow goes under like 31,000. Well, I mean, okay, that's great. But 
I, what if somebody else thinks it does? I mean, you know, what is his word? You know, I, 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 I I'm not, I'm not doubting. I, I'm not saying he's lying. I'm just saying it's like, it's any, it's anybody's guess. And, um, you know, as you, you know, if people are perceiving, you, you have to keep in mind though, pal doesn't give a shit about markets. No, I, I, this it, that, but that doesn't case. matter. That, that, that almost goes to, to prove my point is that if he doesn't give a shit about markets and they tank, well, most of the country does for better or for worse. So that's going to be a lot of pressure. So I don't know what the decisions that are going to be made, but all I'm saying is that he has been able to implement this plan without, with very little pressure so far against him. But what does it look like? Like what I'm getting at is, you know, it's, it's all well and good to, to sail the Titanic through a safe Harbor, but you've got to take it out into the ocean. I mean, he hasn't really had a, been battle tested yet to the degree that I think he might be this winter. Um, you know, as, as in, and there, there's a very real chance that inflation continues to increase, not because of monetary supply, but be, because of supply chains, like price yeah. inflation increases, uh, and cost push inflation, I believe. Yeah. And yeah. so in that, in, in, in that kind of environment, um, I, I, I don't see that as being a great environment for the stock market. Furthermore, if you're going to be offering people risk-free, uh, bonds at 5% and they've looked at, or, or whatever that number is. And, and, and I put risk-free in quotes, but Wait, obviously I'm sorry, probably he's offering that like treasuries. Yeah. I mean, they're not at 5%, but if you raise the funds rate, I mean, at some point they're going to hit. Okay. Let's say 3%, right? Let's say 1%, whatever it is, as you on, on the margins, increase the, the yield from those bonds, those become more and more attractive, uh, than a stock market that just lost 10% in the last year. You know what I mean? Um, so there's going to be a real um, sentiment change of, oh, it's bond time rather than uh, than equity time. Not because bonds are doing well over time. I mean, as, as the rates rise, the bond hold, the previous bondholders get, take a beating, but at least they're getting cash flow. Um, yeah, right. Well, I mean, well, the way I understand this, and I could be wrong, but yes, people are going to, go to go buy treasury bonds not because the yields are higher but it's like if anything as more people buy and trust bonds and trust the dollar more yields will go down because you actually want like bond yields at least for like the 10 year lower than the 30 year and beyond that so um, yeah i mean yeah you traditionally do um you know that's a healthy yield curve at least in in and like what you were describing sounds just like more like speculative as in like trading off of the yield but i don't think it would be that it would again move your capital like scale out the amount of dollars that you have by buying those bonds so you at least get that back plus you know adjusting for inflation 10 years down the road or whatever right and and what i'm saying is that in those environments that's typically very bad for equities um yeah. those are tr- traditionally bad times for equities. i agree i agree and so and so and uh, this, you're uh, just gonna have capital allocation like i don't know what that looks like yeah people are gonna get fucking wrecked but yeah and so th- th- and all i'm saying is what does powell's position look like in let's say we get to january and uh you know the dow is down 10 percent, 20 percent, 30 percent. who knows from here and uh or even if it's down five or three it's down um, what the pressure probably begins to mount. Will he succumb to, it? I have no, idea. I'm not speculating what he does. I'm just saying I doubt that, it. that I, I don't think you see a pivot in January. Like again, pal does not care about markets. He 
cares about preserving the credibility of the Fed. And that's that's it. And I think he like he also gets well, in mind. Let me okay, hold on. Let me let me let me, letter, let me ask you a question like, here. Let, let me ask you from Wall Street and the banks that he has are again his shareholders. He has to be able to provide business models for them as well. So I don't know how he does it, but I I don't think that he completely wrecks markets to the point where his friends can't profit off of it somehow. What are you doing, Cat? Well, in, in in any case, I think that there's a real risk of markets being quite down at that yeah, point. Definitely. Um, and like we're, we're going into a depression. Yeah, I mean, so you, when you have the Fed's declared dual mandate of two percent inflation and job stability and 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 um and low unemployment, yeah, it's a lie. Is he? Well, of course it is. <laughs> you know, of course, but but nonetheless. When you're preserving the Fed's "quote unquote" credibility, aren't what is he going to be saying to the public? When you know, right now he's he's kind of playing dumb and he's living under that cover, which is very smart of him, um, and maybe very good. I don't, you know, for for the future. I, you know, again, setting value judgments aside, what does that look like? Then, how does he come out in public and 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 talk to people? Like, what what? How is he going to maneuver? How is he going to uh, get around the fact that the market is down thirty percent? unemployment's up and inflation's high. I don't know. Maybe he's just that confident in how much he can bankrupt Europe. Because that money's got to go somewhere. Well, a lot of it isn't even money. A lot of it's not capital. You know, a lot of it's not going to flow here because it doesn't exist. Right. But I mean, so I mean, and again, like you don't need all of it. And you also don't need to be like the best place. Cause again, you're going to have like foreign competition going to, you know, Russia or wherever. I mean, I don't think Russian Chinese markets are even like open to the U S anymore. I mean, I could be wrong on that, but, um, yeah, dude, I, I really don't know. I, I think, uh, I think he's, maybe he's more confident in how well he succeeds in moving capital, uh, and he comes to it. But then again, like, I think at his last, like Jackson hole appearance, he basically said like, yes, this will be like a, a challenging, time going into 2023 and uh we could see employment uh unemployment rates rise but he, he's come out and said like he will not stop until the job is done so whatever the hell that means yeah like he is he's firm on this like he's not pumping the brakes whether we like it or not well i mean he says that you know i'm not terribly inclined maybe he means it i don't uh, i don't know that's true that's true I, I but i don't tend to believe these people i, I watch their actions um, and it certainly, it does line up so far, but all I'm saying is he doesn't, he hasn't really sailed into a headwind yet. And, uh, and we don't, and we just don't know what that looks like, whether he continues or not. I don't know. So let me ask you this. At what point do you feel that this, uh, theory becomes invalidated? Mm, I don't think it what, does. What, what would you it, watch if for? If he starts to pivot, I don't think he does until the, uh, savings rate is, I can't remember if like the benchmark was um uh if it was four or eight percent i don't know because like the savings rate right now is what like nothing right so what, like, what savings rate savings rate like people's banks oh god i have no idea it's like poor right so i can't remember like what the benchmark was i can't remember if it was either four or eight percent i should know this but i don't so i'll owe my failure on that but like basically until like the savings rates are high up enough and they're, you know, people aren't so leveraged up to debt to their eyeballs. 
which uh, of course raising rates could probably help out with that. <laughs> uh, well, I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I don't until savings rate is high enough. Like that's, I don't think it's going to help them. Huh? I'm, I, I don't think that raising rates is going to help them. I mean, how many people I mean, have credit, stop credit card debt? Take out more debt because they can't service it. Well, the people already have debt. Right. And and as you raise those rates, the credit card debt is is in some ways pinned to that. Uh, yeah, I know. So, so I mean, that, maybe, this is... The, I'm just you know, speculating, but perhaps yeah. as your interest rate goes up, you'll be less inclined to take out debt because your debt's going to be more expensive than it was in the past. I, I, I Starting from ground zero, yes. But we're not starting from ground zero. We're starting in a, in a situation where mm-hmm. how many people have debt? I mean, a mm-hmm. lot. And they have a lot of it. And um, I wonder how much that is really going to be a burden or how much it's not going to be a burden because we're in re-indexed itself for instead of LIBOR. Because anything that's still indexed to LIBOR, that's what's going to blow out. So I think that's what enables people to uh, still <laughs> rely on, uh, I guess, like credit markets in, in the U.S., just because well, we kind of buffered ourselves. Yeah. And I mean, and we may buffer ourselves from, from catastrophe, like LIBOR catastrophe, but at the end of the day, he's raising rates, right? So like oh, that yeah. is, that is going to raise uh, credit card rates. And uh, a lot of people are leveraged up on credit cards. That's not really a secret. Yeah. Um, so I'm, all I'm saying is I don't know what happens, but I'm painting a picture like so far um, this theory has been correct and it, and it may continue to be correct. And in a lot of ways, I hope it continues to be correct, but it is very, very untested in any kind of treacherous water so far. Yeah. Um, and, and, and to add Literally to that, literally nothing like this has happened. Like, I don't know. I know. It's crazy. Were, I don't think any of these like steps were even like taken like under, uh, Volcker. I mean, no. like Volcker didn't, wasn't trying to destroy the offshore dollar market in the eighties. Uh, right. And, and he had, you know, it, it, th- there was far less debt to GDP at yeah. that time. And you know that, so that's the other, that's the other thing that is going to be something to watch is, uh, yeah. what happens to our sovereign debt? Yeah. Well, um, you have to also consider again, the whole like remonetization of gold Bitcoin option. Also a lot of this money printing is Congress's fault. Like all of this was like, sure. The fed did it, but like the fed was pressured by Congress and like where that money went especially like you know covid checks that's all fiscal policy oh i, so, I i'm not here doubting that again i'm not making say, I, like, you know the, just staying away from i'm staying away from value judgments in general um the situation is what it is here is where we are so if the fed continues the way that they do i think that the picture that i painted is not terribly far-fetched um now could that mean that there there is like, you know, just massive people just declare bankruptcy and then, you know, uh, and then and restart and we clear a bunch of it, you know, I, maybe, but, um, well, I don't know. Cause like bankruptcy, people declaring bankruptcy, I, maybe, huh. is that one method that they tighten? Who knows? Perhaps. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know, but, uh, there's a lot. Of, so, I mean, I guess back to my question, wh- where do you consider this theory, if this theory becomes invalidated, how does it become invalid? Or where do you, how would you consider if like, let me, let me, let me it? propose if, a fed pivot at some point. Okay. So that, that would be the canary in the coal mine see happening. And again, I could be wrong. This is just a theory. Oh, for sure. No, no, no. I, yeah, the, like, absolutely. But like, you know, in the interest, in the interest of having actionable, uh, having something actionable from the theory, I think it's important to 
pin bounds of the theory so that then if that becomes invalidated, then we all who have Bitcoin and cash and, and wealth that we want to preserve and grow, we say, okay, well, this may not the, this may no longer be correct, or maybe the players have changed, or maybe the situation has changed. Yeah. Now, what do we do? Um, and so I, mean, I, Bitcoin wins either way from all of this. For sure. I, I, I agree with that. Um, it, uh, the, the medium term is, I think, what this discussion is mostly about, or the short to medium term. Um, but I think that's that's like, something something important to is this, uh, not an investment advice, but where can one profit in these uh, uh, t- times of a uh, market turmoil? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it, I'll, it it could be something as simple as, uh, you know, I'm thinking about buying a Tesla and, uh, you know, if Tesla is going to get wiped off the face of the map, maybe I don't want to do that because I can't get service for it. Or, is it, you know, I'm d- just pulling something out of thin air. But like, you know, you, we do, despite the fact that I and probably most of the listeners are longtime Bitcoin holders and believe that it will win out and, and, and we will be the beneficiaries of that to some degree. Um, that we do have to deal with life as it is in the medium, in the short and medium term. And I think it is important to kind of, if we're going to have these discussions, um, anchor them in something that's actionable and, and understand the bounds of the, of the theory and say, okay, if this, if I see this happen, then I know that, that, um, their strategy is no longer in play. Like if I go into a baseball game and I say, this pitcher is going to throw all fastballs and the third pitch is a curveball, I say, well, I need to start looking for not only just the fastball, but apparently the curveball because the guy's got both in the tank. Right. So, so I would say in regards to, I would say in regards to Bitcoin, um, I'm not like the biggest technical analysis person, but this the normal volatility is somewhat coming back. And for months now, I think large players have been accumulating it and the more people that uh, keep accumulating. And as we get normal volatility, I think it, uh, I'm not saying it's going to break out between the, uh, before the end of the year, but I think we're getting back to the the stage where it could kind of go one way or the other. And I, were you less than a year away from the happening? I, I can't recall. No, nah, just a little bit more. I think it's just if the block times continue, it'll be around. I think I think it's like March of twenty twenty of twenty four rather. But again, I think this might like in within this next next like epoch, maybe it's the um, the the turning tides of you know just Bitcoin become a risk off asset, and if Russia is sitting on the world's like current like supply of uh, energy and they have the marginal cost to create that energy. Why the hell would they not be mining a shit ton of Bitcoin right now? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think I you're going to see, Bitcoin, I think you're going to see, I don't like, I don't, I'm not really a Bitcoin doomer is that it's going to go down to like 11 K or some shit. Like, it very much could, but I like to think that, that we ha- kind of saw a floor. I'm not entirely sure, but from here it could go either way. And I'm, I'm hoping like, you know, 51% to the upside, 49 to the down. But I'm just feeling much more optimistic about that, especially the whole notion of like capital flight and where that's where that's going to lead. And you have like Bukele have that conference after or like the week after Davos had met in the spring of like tw- 20 different central bankers coming to learn about Bitcoin. I don't know like if that was just a whole like bullshit PR kind of thing. But you're you have BRICS and Russia and everyone trying to come up with a new payment system. Like they'll probably have their like electronic 
not CBDC, but like wholesale kind of thing. But I mean, Russia and, and others are accepting these hard commodities uh, for Bitcoin, like as payment as well. So, I mean, if you have a day job, like God bless you, hold on to it as you can, as well as you can have cash flow and pick up these cheap sats. Because this is like a once in a lifetime opportunity. And hey, if we if we see you live in K, like that's it's a bigger sale. Yeah, I so, mean, I I personally am hoping for it, uh, but I don't. You know, I don't live and die. I don't I don't really care that much anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but it. But yeah, I, I think you know. And this is a discussion that we were kind of having. I can't remember over DM or on the phone the other day. Of I think that that will actually be one of the bigger drivers of of adoption is going to be capital controls and increasing friction and risk in the current banking system or systems, I guess I should say. Right. But I also um, think that's one reason why the fed was going to actually adopt it as collateral. Yeah. And I, and again, I don't really care if they do or don't, it does, it's kind of irrelevant to me. Um, yeah. I, it, you know, that's just putting what, what is that old moniker? Like the, putting the straps on the car, you know, what is that when, you know, when cars were first invented and they had straps for steering because people were used to horses, uh, and then obviously within a year, they just dropped it because it was really, really dumb and didn't make any sense. <laughs> so I, I think that, you know, the Fed can top Bitcoin or not. It makes no doesn't matter to me. Um, but yeah. I, I and think like that, one one last thing about Bitcoin. I It's only Tuesday, but like the 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 coolest thing I heard someone say on Twitter this week, I was in a space and uh, Dylan LeClaire was in it. No one knows who that is. He's like 21 or some shit, but. I don't know, write a bunch of cool macro stuff. Anyway, uh, he basically said like Bitcoin's a tool. And so yeah, like people are kind of in like hard financial times right now. So I don't give anybody shit if they have to part ways with their Bitcoin to like make ends meet, especially no, during not. this kind of shit. So yeah, and I think as, that's as like what... strong Bitcoin hodler, believer, like purist, whatever, like again, it, it's it's a tool, and so just treat it as such and thank God that it, it exists. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I mean, yeah, I think as, as I think that, I think that the worst is still ahead of us because of probably an incoming global liquidity crunch. Um, Mm. but, uh, the good news is that Bitcoin is because it operates in a relatively free market, um, relatively speaking, um, you know, I think it moves ahead of legacy markets, Yes, by, by, you know, whatever it is, six months. And, uh, and I think that, that we will be through the storm before everybody else is. And that's a, that's a, that's a, should be a a good feeling. And as we see the legacy banking system begin to increase their grip, I think that is when uh, Bitcoin will, will really shine. And I think that you're right, that there will be institutions uh, that do leverage Bitcoin as a tool for cross-border payments, for clearing. Well, and not only like that, that, they're being forced by customer demand to offer Bitcoin products because yeah. they, they mm-hmm. want to. They want their to. They want to financialize it. They want to have their spreads. Shit, they already have with the futures market, which is another reason, just like with gold, that they manipulate the price so low because they want to accumulate this shit. Mm-hmm. And uh, fuck, what was the other thing I was gonna say? Oh, uh, not about Bitcoin. A little, a little tangential to you know, the liquidity crisis, uh, banks are flush with $2 trillion of cash. So should that, that day reckoning come, it's not going to last very long. I hope so. I hope we jump the gap pretty quick. Um, 
you know, we'll, we'll see, you know, if they, if they operate in, in a more hands-off way, I think we will. Uh, but, uh, you know, they could definitely prolong the pain, I think, uh, as they did with, with 08, but, um, you know, we'll see the time will tell, but yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious to see what the fed minutes look like tomorrow and see what they, what they do. And okay. then we'll, we'll continue to look forward to, uh, what is it? October and December, uh, for, for the next, uh, or November and January for the next two rate hikes that they say 50 bips a piece and, uh, see if he sticks to it. Uh, so are the markets pricing in 50 or where's that coming from? Uh, I think that was Powell's stated plan was 75 today, 50, 50 to close out the year. Oh, really? Cool. I think so. I think that's what he said. Don't hold me to, I don't, I don't. It, and not, what are we at total? Like two, 2%. Well, they, right now they're targeting, uh, 225 to 250 open market. So, uh, tomorrow is expected to be 300 to 325. And, the, and, but right now here, let me refresh this page right now, according to the, uh, CME FedWatch tool, the markets are predicting an 18% chance of a hundred bit rate hike. So we'll see if it comes true. Sweet. Yeah. I think it was a uh, Daniel DiMartino booth that said, Hey, like 6% by the end of the year isn't uh, impossible. That would be insane. <laughs> that would be really, really wild. <laughs> <laughs> We'll see, but, uh, all right, well, I, I got to jump off and record the main show. So, uh, uh, really enjoyed this show and maybe we'll do a follow-up one and see, yeah. uh, you know, maybe we'll do another one after the next rate hike and see, uh, see, you know, compare our predictions and compare where we're at. Yeah, why not? Yeah. So, it's a never changing, uh, story. Yep. So but yeah, Carl, uh, yeah. Carl for having me, man. And, yeah, for sure. Uh, Get I'd your be happy to, uh, send you the links to the stuff I, Wrote. And if anyone is curious, they can find me on Twitter at Mr. C U M R P S E U and shoot me in the DMs. Tell me I'm wrong or if I can, we can help brainstorm some of this shit together. Very cool. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Thanks, Phil.